Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. All right, well, this morning, uh, Trevor is actually home with the sniffles. So we have this wonderful opportunity to have a guest teacher come uh, last minute. So I want to welcome Armando up. He's from Calvary Fallbrook, and he's be teaching with, for us this morning. So welcome, Armando. The sniffles. Wow. I haven't heard that one in a long, long time. I'm sure Trevor will really appreciate it, too. Um, you know, I've known, I've just actually got to know Trevor the last couple of years um, through Danny Ramos. I know Danny probably has spoken here for Trevor a couple times, and uh, I know a couple things about Trevor. He is uh, a great Bible teacher, and um, he loves baseball. Um, obviously, if you follow him on Instagram, you know he loves Padres baseball, and that's where we part ways, because I'm from up north, and I'll let you figure that one out yourselves, Okay. <laughs> Hey, I suffered a lot this last October. I've suffered, so be, be sympathetic towards me. You know, um, the other day we had a men's group at our church. We meet at 6.30 on Thursday mornings, or, yeah, Thursday mornings. And um, we go through books of the Bible. We just discuss them. There's really no teacher. We all read together. And then as the Lord leads, what do you see? What speaks to you? Any questions? And one of, my, one of the guys in the group, he said something. He, we were closing out. We are going to pray for each other. And he says, I need prayer. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? He goes, well, you know, elections are going on right now. And, you know, there's a lot of tension. And there's a lot of tension in my family. You know, we're all on certain spectrums in this political world. And he goes, and I love what he asked, though. His prayer request was this. He said, I want to know how to respond in a Christ-honoring way. And he goes, and it's hard for me because he's Sicilian. And he goes, and so passionate you know he gets fired up about it but I loved his attitude and that takes wisdom doesn't it it takes wisdom as we navigate especially being Christians in California I, I love this state I was born in this state I told my son we were watching oh, what's that movie called um, oh my gosh just when the the Cubans invade it was an 80s movie and uh, what was that movie called does anybody remember that movie I'm talking about Red Dawn yes Red Dawn and my son looks at me and he goes dad if we get invaded, where are we going? I said, I'm going on my easy chair. I said, because this is where I was born and this is where I'm dying. They can come in all they want with this. I love this state. I love our weather. I'm not going anywhere. He's old dad, I'm going to have to leave you behind. I'm like, yes, you go live your life, my son. You go do that. Um, but but I, I, again, as we navigate and as we have to like be wise in how we express our opinions, right? We have to be wise in how we communicate the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We can't lose our identity as followers of Jesus, and it takes wisdom to do that. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our flesh. We have to do it under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, we're going through Corinthians at our church. We've been going through it for now maybe a month, maybe a month and a half. And there's one verse that I always knew, but I just never really noticed how the Apostle Paul worded the power and wisdom of God. It's in chapter one of your Bibles. You go there with me. But I want you to think about this. The Corinthians lived in a city that was, it's a, it's a big city. Um, it was very licentious, very promiscuous. Uh, they were known for their drunkenness, but they also were known, they also were known, 
for their schools of philosophy. So they loved philosophy. They loved rhetoric. They loved, you know, being able to speak well. You see that with Apollos coming in. And we all know and from the book of Acts that Apollos, man, that guy could talk. That guy knew how to speak. We also know from the Bible and the Corinthians that the Apostle Paul wasn't such a great speaker. He kind of was timid and at times. I mean, Paul's a pit bull, don't get me wrong. But he, he, the way he describes himself in his speech, kind of fumbly-mumbly, you know, maybe not the best communicator all the time, but he's consistent, and he's, a, he's an endurance runner, and he's a marathon runner, and he's a, he's a wrestler. But Apollos, man, this guy was smooth sailing, just a great orator. And the thing I want us to see about this is that the Corinthian church were, was looking at, they were, they were in their fellowship, in their community of believers, and they were bringing their culture into the church. They're bringing their values into the church, and they were judging the church based upon their worldly values, upon their cultural values. And that's a very dangerous thing to do. So what the Apostle Paul starts to do is dismantle the way they view the world, and he begins to dismantle the way they see wisdom, right? Because they value it so much. So he's like, you know what? It's a good thing you like wisdom, but it better be the right wisdom. And it can't be the wisdom of the world. It has to be the wisdom that comes from above. Because what he says in Corinthians is this, to the world, the wisdom of God is what? Foolishness. Think about that. I want you to think of something you think is foolish, and that's how the world looks upon the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Christ. Do you get that feel yet in the world we live in? And it's not just here in America or California. It's all over the world. This is how it's viewed. But the Apostle Paul says one thing in verse 24 of Corinthians. He says this, um, back up a little bit. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, Look what he says next. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And notice what he says next. And the wisdom of God. Now, now think about that. Think about that. He's Because I think sometimes we look at the cross of Christ and we see the power of God, right? We see the power of God defeating death. We see the power of God paying our debt. Uh, this, this debt that we can never pay back. We know it's power. We see it through the cross that Christ conquers death, right? Through the resurrection. So we see the clear display of God's awesome power, his infinite power. And we see it there. But Paul says this too. He says, when you look at the Messiah, remember that's the context here, Christ, the power of God. Notice that. The Messiah, the anointed one. He is the power of God, right? And then he says, and the wisdom of God. So when we look at Jesus Christ, we look at his, we look at his teaching, we look at the life he lived, and what we should see there is God's wisdom on display, that this is the way we're to live. This is the way we are to think. These are the things that we should be valuing, valuing every day of our lives, because you guys, whatever we value, Jesus says it. That's the direction of your life. That's what you're going to give your emotions to. That's what you're going to give your time to. That's what you're going to give your love to. And whatever you treasure in your heart, that's what you're going after. And I want to just give you this option. Look at Jesus and are you going after him? Are you going after him? Because I believe this. Dallas Willard, he was a philosophy teacher at USC. He actually was the head of philosophy at USC before he died and retired. But this guy was a Baptist preacher at one time. 
So he had a love for God, and he brought that love for God into his worldview, I mean, to teach at a university like USC. And the one thing he said, I found it very interesting. He says, you know, most of the time people look at Jesus and they'll say he's the son of God. No argument there. Second person of the Holy Trinity. But when it comes to his teaching, if I said to you, who were the great thinkers in all of human history, would you put Jesus in that category? Really be honest with yourself. Plato, Socrates, right? Descartes, Kierkegaard. You go down a list. All the great philosophers, Plato, Aquinas. But would you ever put Jesus Christ in the category of being one of the greatest thinkers that this world has ever known? Because Dallas Willard said this, speaking of Jesus, he goes, he's not just nice, he's brilliant. He is the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information on everything and certainly also on the things that matter most in human life. Let us now hear his teaching on how, or on who has the good life, on who is among the truly blessed. I love when he says that. He's brilliant. And I think sometimes, if we're honest, we'll look at the teaching of Christ like it's an opinion. We'll look at the teaching of Christ like he's just giving us a suggestion. And it's ours to kind of play out. It's ours to kind of weigh on the scales of what we value and what we're going to live for. But if we really believe that he's the second person of the Holy Trinity, he's God incarnate, and we go through the Gospels and we watch his life, because Paul said this to the Corinthian church, he goes, imitate me as I imitate who? Christ. So Paul's not just talking about the way he, what he taught, he's talking about the way he lived. And he's saying, imitate him as I imitate him. But then on the same time, we take the teaching of Christ and we should, we should be saying, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is my, this is my North Star. What Jesus taught. And it's not going to be something I put off to the back burner till I get around to it. But it's going to be first and foremost in the affections of my heart and in the way I think. And remember what Jesus says, you guys, in Matthew 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So let me ask you guys a question. What kind of wisdom do you find in Jesus? Think about it. What wisdom do you find in Jesus? And here's my other question that you have a hard time with. Because if the things we have a hard time with, I'm just not going to do them, right? I'm not going to do them. I'm, not, I'm just going to be like, I hear you, Lord. And like, I hear my wife. Hey, Monica, can you take out the trash? I, I hear her. I hear her. And then I see her walk by me taking out the trash. Why? I didn't do it. And then at that moment, I'm like, oh, babe, I'm going to get it right now. She's like, yeah, whatever, right? And my son has carried on my legacy in that way. But again, if I take, if I believe who I say Jesus is, I really believe that. I'm going to build my life. Look at the two things he says. He says, who hears, hears them, hears them. Not the way I heard my wife's voice. But when I hear the doctor saying, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to die. That hearing. You know what I'm talking about? When your cholesterol is too high, your blood pressure is too high, your sugar is too high, and he's saying, you need a new diet or you're going to die. I think you're going to listen. Well, most people don't, but we should, Right? 
And we're going to listen to Jesus. And he says, who hears these words of mine, but notice what he says next, and does them. I believe this, the weakness of the church, the weakness of the church, is that we put certain categories of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do instead of obeying Christ across the board. And we're going to take a look at, we're going to take a look at a few of these things this morning. So again, so the wisdom, we find wisdom in Jesus. We find the wisdom of God in Jesus. And remember this, you guys, there is a wisdom of this world. There is. James says it. Comes from what? Comes from hell. And it's demonic and it's sensual. So what does that mean? It's based on our desires. It's the appeal of, of a good fly. If you're a fly fisherman, you get that right bait on that hook. And it looks really good to us. And it looks really wise to us because it promises us something. That if you do this, you're going to get what you want. And I would say this, but you're not going to get what you need. You're not going to get what you need. You're just going to get what you want. And I'm saying as we look at Jesus and we consider what he taught, take it to heart this morning, okay? Take it to heart. We're going to take a look at a few things. Again, to the world is foolishness. It's Mark, we'll look at, let's look at the first one. Mark 8, verses 34 through 38. Mark writes there, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Notice what he says next. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. The one verse I really want you to focus on is what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What does it profit the man? So what is he teaching us? Number one, that there's an immaterial part of us, spiritual part of us, right? And we should be valuing that above everything else in our lives. Because this is eternal. Again, I'm not a Gnostic. We're going to have glorified bodies. We're gonna, I'm going to be a little bit taller. My legs won't be chicken legs, I hope. You know, um, that's the way I'm formed. I'm just going to be a little bit different, I hope. But the one thing I do love about the glorified body is it'll finally be a body that's fit to obey Jesus 100%. There'll be no fight. There'll be no wrestling. There'll be no debate. It'll just be clean obedience. But what I want us to see is if we, if we allow ourselves to devalue the soul, if we believe the lie of evolution, if we believe that we're just a, a cosmic mistake, if we just believe we're here by chance and there is no purpose and there is no, there is no real ultimate, ultimate reality for a human being outside of what we can feel, taste, and touch, if we believe that lie, if we believe our greatest desires are the most important things and those desires make us up, then we will not what? We will not value the soul. We will not value what Christ came to do on that cross to redeem us, to restore the relationship to, with our God and Father. We're going to just not value that. It's going to be secondary. But if we truly value it, we're going to value not just our own soul, but everybody's around us. We're not going to see color. We're not going to see borders. We're not going to see, again, I'm not making a political statement by that. I said it one time, and I got a bunch of emails from people in my church. You, you're, you don't believe in borders. I'm like, where did you get that from, man? Like, stop listening to the news and letting that be how you think about everything. But I am talking about how God sees the world. That's how we are to see the world. That's all I'm saying. How Jesus sees it. How Jesus hears it. 
how Jesus loves the people of this world. That's how we're to live our lives. But if I'm going to go and chase after the values of this world and center my life on attaining creature comforts and positions of power, you're chasing the wind. You're chasing the wind. Because Jesus came to redeem us, didn't he? Jesus came to give us a new life that we might be born again. Again, that we might be born again. So that, what does he say? The spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. He goes, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. But we must be born again because only through what? Being filled with the spirit and being born again can I see and value God's kingdom. Value it. Value God's kingdom. So I'm saying again, we got to reacclimate ourselves or recalibrate ourselves to valuing that which God values. We have to. Because really think about it. I don't know if you guys, I used to take kids down to, to Skid Row in L.A. when I was a youth pastor. I would take them down once a month. We would go down to the Dream Center, and then we would either go to a Section 8 housing, Hawaiian Gardens, Watts. A couple of times, though, we went to Skid Row. I, don't, I really want you to be honest. When you look at people that live in a tent or in a box, and then their bed is a sidewalk, are they your equal? Are they your equal? Seriously. Because God says yes. And if we're believers and we say, I value the soul, that person is made in the image of God. And that's how I see him. And we give them value. I'm going to tell you a life-changing experience that happened to me. I was a youth pastor. I was legalistic. I was harsh on the kids. I was, you know, I was sold out. That's how we would describe it, right? But I was hard. I've apologized to the I apologized to him. I have two more years with him after I had this 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 moment. I was watching TBN and they were doing this millennium, the great personalities of the last century. Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, Louise Palau, Pope John Paul II, Smith Wigglesworth, right? All these guys. And they all were preaching. You know, Billy Sunday's like doing this, and Billy Graham's doing this, and the Pope had his cross up and he's preaching. Right? They're all preachers, but the last personality was Mother Teresa. She wasn't preaching. She was holding a starving child. Eyes sucked back in its head, ribs exposed, you know, spinal cord. He just, he, he was just dying of starvation. And the way she held this child was the way I held my daughter. And when I saw her holding that child, you know what my first response was? Why are you holding him? You're going to get sick. That was how I saw her. But at the same time, at the same time, I went, I think I just saw Jesus, because that's exactly what Jesus would do. And I started to weep, and I said, Lord, what happened to me? Why is my heart so hard? Why am I so judgmental? Where did I, t- I've read your word. I've been a, I was a missionary for 10 years in Hungary in the 90s. I've, went, I've worked in the inner cities. Lord, I've served you. Why am I the way I am? Why? I want to be like that. I want to see the world the way she does. It's easy to preach. It's easy to get up in front of people. But to go when no one's looking and love the unlovable, that's what I want to be. Where did I take a wrong turn? And my, my life went in a different direction from that point on. Because I began to value people over ministry. Does that make sense to you? Not the ministry. People, that's what I love. People, that's what I want to be with. People. 
because that's not my natural disposition. But I want to be like Jesus. You see what I'm saying? That's why they were scandalized when Jesus would touch a leper. That's why they were scandalized when Jesus would allow this woman of ill repute to weep on his feet and touch him. That's why they were scandalized by it, because they saw sin. They saw someone below them. Jesus saw someone he came to save. This is the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of God on display. This is a wise life. This is what it looks like. I want you to see that. Everything he did, he had a point. Everything he said, he had a purpose in it. And we have to see it this way. Because if we don't, we're not going to live a life of wisdom. And when the storms come, and they will come, will your house stand? I was sharing with Danny a couple years ago. Actually, five years ago, my son was diagnosed with leukemia. Came out of nowhere. He was a little soccer player, you know, club soccer and all that. He would say once they put the port in his body, his body rejected it, and he went septic. And this was after a month of him being diagnosed and getting all the chemo, and he was a little skinny little guy, no hair, you know, sad. And then when he went septic, that's when it got bad. (laughs) And I was with him in the ICU room because I had to put him in ICU, pediatric ICU. And in there, they put him on a bed of ice. And he's screaming for me to help him. Dad, help me. Dad, please. And I'm, I touch him and he would scream at me like, that hurts. Dad, dad, help me. And then I'm just praying, God, let him just fall asleep. God, have mercy. God, please, please. But it was at that point, I was telling Danny, I said, it was at this point when he finally fell asleep and I was just weeping. I'm like, God, did I take a wrong turn? Why am I here? What's going on? But then I, this is what I found in that darkest moment of my life. I said to him, Lord, if you take my son, I still believe. I'm not going anywhere. I promise you that. Where else shall I go? You alone have words of eternal life. I go, but if you take my son, you'll take half me with him. But whatever's left, it's all yours, Lord. It took me about four years to hear my words that day because I was so broken through what happened. But I found out, yeah, I really do believe. Because in my darkest hour, that's all I had was my faith. And I wasn't going to let it go. Because I believe, as I said in that room, you alone have words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go, Lord? Not when everything was good, but when everything was bad. And I want you to see something as we go on to Luke chapter 12. Look what he says. He's told a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my, all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God, right? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, um, whose they will be, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. See, that's the world, isn't it? That's the world saying, build up barns, get your portfolio to the max potential. Yeah, live a life of ease and leisure. That's what you're created for. No. You're created to be rich towards God because that's the true wealth that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And it has nothing to do with wealth. I don't want you to think that. It's how we use wealth because wealth either uses us or we use it to advance the kingdom of God. 
We cannot be slaves to the apprehension of wealth. Some of you guys are just talented. I have friends of mine, they sneeze and they make money, right? I hate those guys. Anything they touch is just like, oh, yeah, I bought this sod farm and it just has a tax write-off. And you know what happened a couple months later? The city changed its ordinance and every house that's built has to have sod now. I made a bundle. Like, you just, you backed up into that, didn't you? Like, I'll, I'll research and, you know, I'll get my investments all lined up and, you know? It's like, don't invest with me. You'll lose all your money, okay? But I'm not talking about that kind of wealth. I'm talking about what we pursue with our lives. Some people just have the gift. They do. And I know a lot of my friends, they use it for God's good. They do. But we can't live for that junk, man. We can't. We got to live for something more than that. We got to lay up treasures. Again, by, by being generous, by being humble, by being loving, by being forgiving, this is a generosity. You're rich in that. Do you know that? You're rich. And people when people are just, they are poor in forgiveness. They are poor with God. They are poor. You're not. You're rich because you know Jesus Christ. And everything that he has is yours. Everything he says. And we have to live our lives by giving it away. By loving the unlovable. By serving other people by forgiving those that have wrongfully used you. Not easy stuff, is it? But this is what makes us different. And I want you to see something. Jesus says this, and I think it's very important, Matthew 18. He says, at a time, because again, we're looking at greatness, we're looking at wisdom, we're looking at a house built upon a rock, we're looking at what it looks like, and it's the establishment of God's character within us. Our minds, how we see, how we hear, what we do with our time, what we do with what we have. This is a wise life. This is a wise life. And and I want you to see something, but it starts very, very quietly. It starts within the inner heart of ourselves and what we're looking for. It says, at the time the disciples came to him, came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Remember, they're always fighting over it too, weren't they? Always fighting over who's the greatest. Who's the greatest, right? And he says, and calling to calling him a child, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like a child, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this, whoever humbles himself, like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. I believe what he's saying here is two things. One, we got to see ourselves correctly. We got to see ourselves correctly. You know, there was a Dove commercial. I don't know if you guys ever saw this commercial. It was really, I showed it to some guys and they were crying. I won't tell you who, but they were crying, okay? But in this Dove commercial, there's a forensic FBI um, agent and he, he's an artist. And so what they do is they have a woman come in and his back is turned to her. She sits over here and then he says, describe yourself to me. So the women begin to just how they see themselves and again, this guy, man, he's point on. He's just drawing what he hears. Now, before they came in, though, they met somebody. And they asked him questions about themselves. So like, what do you do? Do you have a family? Are you married? What do you do? What's your hobbies? What do you love? Blah, blah, blah. So after they draw themselves or describe themselves to the artist, the person they met in the lobby comes in. And again, doesn't look at them. And he says, hey, describe to me the person you just met. And they do this for, I don't know, 10 women. And then they bring the woman back in and they put the two portraits up. 
Do you think they matched? The women saw themselves, I mean, homely, old. My nose is too big. My lips are too small. Um, you know, I'm, I'm too, I, have too, I gained too much weight, all this stuff. And they, you look at them and you're like, who is that? Because the way the person described them was dead on. I mean, it was them. It was, it's a trip what this guy can do just by listening. And I, and I sit there and I think about this. We don't see ourselves correctly because we don't value the right things. I compare myself to my neighbor too often. I compare myself to what I wanted to be rather than what God wanted me to be. And as I see myself sometimes, I see myself as a failure or coming in second place or coming in last place. I see myself through all my mistakes rather than through the victory of Christ on the cross. Rather than through the forgiveness that God gives me, I see myself still as a victim, as someone who's been wronged, as someone who has been taken from, rather than all the wealth that God has given me, and I see myself in that light. Peter Kreeft, another, another philosopher, he was at Boston College, he said there's more beauty in the eyes of Mother Teresa than in any cover girl you'll ever see. There's more beauty there. Because it's the beauty of the soul. It's the beauty of a life lived in service. It's the beauty of a life that is trusting in God and living for the Lord. And in whatever walk of life, wherever God's called you to be, a, a chef, a banker, a stockbroker, I don't care what it is, you could be a light for God there. But it's how you see yourself. These guys were trying to what? They want to be the next David. They want to be the next Samson. They want to be the next great general in the history of Israel. That's what Peter wants. And Jesus is like, you know what I want you to be, Peter? A great servant. What? That's not great. In my kingdom it is. You want to be great in my kingdom? I'm going to tell you something. Be like a child that has no rights, that is completely dependent upon their parents, that can give you nothing in return, and all the child can do is receive. That's what I want you to be like. That's what I want you to be like. And then as we begin to become this child, all of a sudden we begin to see others through the eyes of Jesus. We begin to see others the way God does. And it changes us radically, radically. So again, seeing myself correctly, seeing others correctly, because once we do that, then the next thing Jesus said makes sense. Matthew 23, verses 10 through 12. The steps of greatness start with humility. I want you to see this. Neither be called instructors or teachers, for you have one instructor, Christ. The greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So the call is to servanthood. Do you remember what Jesus did after the Last Supper, or during the Last Supper? Do you remember what he did? Yes. He gets up, takes on the form of a servant, takes off his robe, girds himself, gets a basin of water and a towel, and he begins to go. Judas is still there, by the way. He begins to go to each one of his disciples, and he washes their feet. Have you ever had anybody wash your feet? I'm not talking about a pedicure, right? I'm talking about, you know, because, you know, you clean your feet there before you go in. You get them all. Okay, well, I'll make them look good, you know. I don't know why, but you do. But I'm talking about your husband, your daughter, your wife. You ever wash their feet? Wash your son's feet after he came back from a soccer match? Right? 
Jesus gets up. And keep this in mind, in that culture, you couldn't even demand a servant to wash anybody's feet. That's how low it was. And I want you to think about it in this context too. The last thing Jesus does before those hands are nailed to a cross, he washes the disciples' feet. How, how important was this lesson that he was giving them? Because after he gets up, we all know what Peter, being bonehead Peter says, not mine, Lord, no way. I'm not going to let you be my servant. And he's like, then you have no part of me. Okay, wash all of me then, you know? Peter, chill out. You just need your feet washed, man. Chill out, dude. But then he gets up and he says this to them. Do you know what I've tried to teach you? Do you know what I've tried to teach you? One last time. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you got to be a servant. You know, we are Calvary Fallbrook, but I added to our name Servants Church. And when people ask me why, I said, because I want our church to be great. I want us to be the servants of Fallbrook. That's my goal. That's my heart. Because I would say this, the person you see serving is the one who's the wisest of all. Because they're actually believing what Jesus taught. My grandmother was illiterate. She had 12 kids. And my grandfather was not the easiest man to live with. And then every time, and out of, out of our, my first cousins, there's 28, and I'm number 24. And we would all go to Sunday. I miss this now. We would all go to, after church on Sunday, we'd go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, and they lived out, and we had a wash next. We had to catch frogs and shoot our BB guns and all that stuff. But when we came in to eat, the kids would eat first then our dads, then our moms, and then my grandmother would eat by herself in the kitchen. And guess who served all of us? My grandmother. Not bitter. She, she had the best laugh in the world. It was pure joy. And God bless my grandmother. She had like, when I knew her, she had like four or five teeth left. Could you imagine having four or five teeth left? Would you laugh out loud? She didn't care. She would just like, I would kiss her on the cheeks, had the softest cheeks, and she would just belly laugh. <laughs> you know? We helped her in anything. She gave us money. And then you ask her, Grandma, and my, my mom and my aunts, Mom, let, come on, let us serve you. She says, No, no, it's my house. I am gonna hear, I'm here to serve you. Then they ask her, Mom, why do you serve so much? Because Jesus said, The greatest in the kingdom is servant of all. Anything she did in life, she would say this. She, this was her reason. Jesus said to do it. Oh, how simple. Really? I think she's probably the wisest person I ever knew. She didn't talk about it. She just didn't hear the words. She obeyed them. She obeyed them. And I'm going to tell you, when you do that, you lose yourself, don't you? It goes back to denying yourself. All of a sudden, other people are more important. You know where God has applied this in my life? <laughs> With my wife. Every time, man, there's a misunderstanding. And I'll be fired up. And I'll go and I'll pout. Lord, did you see what she said? Did you hear? Did you see what she did to me, Lord? Lord, you need to convict her. Lord, you need to convict her right now. And I'm not going to get up until she comes and apologizes. And the Lord will let me be steamed. Then he'll just go, hey, uh. Do me a favor. Yeah, Lord, anything. Go apologize to your wife. 
I didn't do anything. I was right. You know I'm right. She's the one. Yeah, go apologize. No, no, I'm not. And about 10 minutes later, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And I humble myself. Hey, babe, I know what I said it wasn't kind. And you please forgive me. No, I was the one who was wrong. Would you forgive me? Why can't you come first? Just one time. You come first. Just one time. I remember it was about 10 years when she finally almost had a heart attack. Are you dying? Are you, is that why you came to me? But now it's just been a thing. Again, my wife and I fought for our marriage. We went through some terrible times. And by God's grace, we got through. And when people see our marriage now, they're like, wow. And we look at them like, this didn't come cheap, man. You know what saved our marriage? It's going to sound crazy to you. We did what Jesus told us to do. We humbled ourselves and we served each other. And we serve our children. And I'm, I don't know if you guys knew this because of my name, Armando. I'm Mexican. I know it might be a shock to you. You're like, what? You? I know, I know. Don't even look it. And my family, this at least when I grew up, dad was the king. Dad made no mistakes. Dad don't apologize for nothing. That's my culture. That's what I grew up in. That's not my house. My house is kingdom culture. I'm not the king of the house. I'm the servant of the house. I serve my wife and I serve my children because Jesus said to. And my house is awesome. It's peaceful. We laugh. We like each other. Would you obey what the Lord says? Would you humble yourself with each other? Would you be the first to say sorry after a fight? Or you're holding on to something still, maybe past grudges? We're going to take communion right now. And I really want you to think as you hold the body and blood, Danny's going to lead us in it. Think about what that message is sending to us about forgiveness and about service and about humility and about the way of Jesus Christ. The world needs people that just don't go to church. The world needs people that are going to obey the words of Jesus. They're going to live them in difficult times. To be like Stephen. Father, forgive him. They're throwing rocks at his head. Oh, don't hold this against them. Lord. They're just crazy. Hear the words of Christ and do them. There's power in it. I don't know how. I don't get it. But I know it starts because I'm denying myself. That's where it starts. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, as we come before you now and we come to your table, the Lord's table, it's a beautiful table. It's a dress rehearsal for that day when we'll do it in your kingdom, Lord. And we'll sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in your kingdom. We are those you spoke of, Lord, those who come from the east and from the west to sit in your kingdom. And Lord, as we hold the cup and as we hold the bread, remind us of what it symbolizes, but also remind us you are here in a special way in our midst. As we gather, you walk these aisles and I pray for the broken in here, Lord. I pray for those with wounded hearts and they've been hurt in their marriage like everybody else has, Lord. But the blood of Christ covers those sins too. May we be generous with your grace. May we be generous with the forgiveness that you've given us. 
Heal the brokenhearted, Lord. Lift up the downcast. Lord, you said a broken reed you will not break and a smoldering flame you will not smother. Blow upon, Lord, some of us here that we're just holding on by a thin thread, Lord. In our brokenness, Lord, we're kind of ready to give up, but Lord, bind those branches back. Make them stronger than ever. Because of your grace. Because of your love. Lord, we look at the teachings of Christ not as a suggestion, but as a command. Not something that wants to take our life, but something that wants to give us life. Help us to be wise with your words. Help us to do them, not philosophize about them. And Lord, and we do pray uh, for Trevor and his family. Bless them physically. Heal their bodies. And those that are sick, Lord, I know this bug's been going around. And, but you are a healer, and we pray for your healing. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.